These are the Greek Myth Files, your entree into the world of Greek myth in a smart but accessible way. They are brought to you by the Classics Program at the University of New Hampshire and its crack team of undergraduates. I'm your host, Professor Scott Smith. As the coronavirus pandemic continues to grow and overwhelm our medical infrastructure, it has led me to think a lot about plagues and infectious diseases from the Greek and Roman worlds. Perhaps there are no greater or more famous historical plagues from the ancient world than the local epidemic that struck Athens in the early years of their war against Sparta in 430 BCE, and the true pandemic that swept through the vast Roman Empire in the 160s and 170s CE that may have killed as many as 8 to 10 million of its estimated 75 million inhabitants. Because plagues and medical crises created then, as today, a sense of helplessness and dread, they inspired people to attempt to placate the gods, especially the god Apollo, to stave off the disease. But in Athens, neither doctors nor the gods were of any use. As the ancient historian Thucydides tells us, neither were the doctors at first of any service, ignorant as they were of the proper way to treat it. But they themselves died in masses, since they visited the sick most often. Nor did any human art succeed any better. Prayers and offerings in the temples, divinations, and so forth were found equally useless, until the overwhelming nature of the disaster at last put a stop to them altogether. Thucydides goes on to list the symptoms of the disease, its high mortality rate, and the feelings of utter despair that descended on the city. When the plague finally passed after several waves and several years, the Athenians set up a statue to Apollo Alexikakos, that is, to Apollo, the averter of evil, since he was seen as the god who delivered them from the plague. Apollo was the Greek god of many things, archery, music, prophecy, and eventually he became a healing god as well as a sun god. But his first appearance on the literary scene features his role as the god of plagues. In what may well be the earliest story written down in ancient Greece, Homer's Iliad starts out with Apollo raining a plague down on the Greeks for insulting one of his priests who was trying to recover his daughter who had been taken as a war prize. The old man was terrified. He obeyed the order, turning, trailing away in silence down the shore where the battle lines of breakers crash and drag. And moving off to a safe distance, over and over the old priest prayed to the son of sleek-haired Leto, Lord Apollo. Hear me, Apollo! God of the silver bow who strides the walls of Chrysi and Scylla, Sancrosact Lord and power of Tenedos, Smintheus, God of the plague. If I ever roofed a shrine to please your heart, ever burned the long rich bones of bulls and goats on your holy altar, now, now bring my prayer to pass. Pay the Danaeans back, your arrows for my tears. His prayer went up, and Phoebus Apollo heard him. Down he strode from Olympus' peaks, storming at heart with his bow and hooded quiver slung across his shoulders. 
The arrows clanged at his back as the god quaked with rage. The god himself on the march. And down he came like night. Over against the ships he dropped a knee. Let fly a shaft and a terrifying clash rang out from the great silver bow. First he went for the mules and circling dogs. But then, launching a piercing shaft at the men themselves, he cut them down in droves. And the corpse fires burned on, night and day, no end in sight. For nine days, the arrows of the god swept through the army. Apollo causes the plague by firing his arrows from afar. One of his epithets, or titles, is the far worker, because his presence is not required to kill or injure. In fact, Apollo and his bow-wielding sister Artemis were said to cause the sudden and unexpected deaths of young boys and girls. Here, in the Iliad, it's worth pointing out that it's not just humans that are affected by Apollo's arrows. The god starts by taking out animals first, only later to start cutting down the Greeks for days on end. The desperation that this plague causes leads to the central conflict of the Iliad, and everyone should read this amazing piece of art. But now we'll turn to another mythical plague that features one man who is all too close to his mother. In myth, the city of Thebes was one very messed up place, with a number of extremely disturbing stories. We could spend hours dissecting the truly horrifying things that happened in and around Thebes. Perhaps the most horrifying is the story of Oedipus, who famously survived being exposed as an infant, only to grow up to kill his father, marry his mother Jocasta, and father four kids by her, without ever realizing any of it. The best-known version of his road to self-discovery is told by the dramatic playwright Sophocles in his famous tragedy Oedipus the King, which opens vividly with a description of the plague that had descended on Thebes. The first scene has Oedipus walk out of his palace and discover that both young and old had taken refuge at the altars of the gods and seeking help from him, their king. He bids the priest to tell him what is wrong. The priest responds, King of our Thebes, Oedipus, look at us. We are all here, gathered around your altars praying. See, all the ages of men are here. The youth, whose wings have yet to spread wide enough for flying far, and the old men, whose head and back are bent with years like me, Oedipus, me, Zeus's priest. And look here, look at our youth, the best stock of men in the world. We are all gathered here, here, and in the city, too, around both the temples of our goddess Athena, and by the fires inside Apollo's temple, and by the altars of Ismenos, whose oracles emerge from ashes. There is plenty of kneeling and lamenting and deep sighing going on there as well, my lord. There, too, Oedipus, the laurels are waved in supplication. But you, too, Oedipus, with your own eyes, you can see how the whole of Thebes is in the grips of a battering sea-storm of troubles, and how she cannot raise her head from its murderous waves. You, too, can see that our trees let drop their best flowers to the ground just before they become fruit, that our herds drop dead as they graze, and all our women have become barren. A despicable 
pestilence, my lord, has taken our Thebes within its murderous grip, as if some fire-carrying god has swooped upon our land, hollowing out our homes and cluttering the house of black Hades with our moans and our cries for despair. As in the Iliad, the plague here does not only affect the people of Thebes, but also the herds and animals. Even the fruit dies on the vines and trees, and women can no longer get pregnant. This plague is not just a disease infecting humans, but a blight on the whole land, affecting everything, flora, fauna, and humans. Again, as in the Iliad, the reason for this plague is not some neutral biological agent, but Oedipus's own transgression against the laws of nature. Because he murdered his own father, and to a lesser extent because he married his own mother, he has himself become tainted. To use the technical Greek term, Oedipus has brought miasma, or religious pollution, on himself. But miasma does not just mean that the person committing the transgression is infected. In this case, pollution affects everyone and everything else around him. This is why the land of Thebes is suffering, why his people are dying, and why barrenness is engulfing the region. It is this plague that starts the action of the play and leads to Oedipus's realization, step by step, that he is the reason for the death and destruction around him, that he killed his father those years ago, and that he had fathered children by his own mother. It is no wonder that Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher and literary critic, judged Oedipus the king to be the closest thing to a perfect tragedy. Perhaps it is no accident that, to find a cure, Oedipus sends his second-in-command to Apollo's oracle at Delphi, for Apollo is also the god of cures. The answer was, one must rid the land of the pollution. And at the end of the play, Oedipus realizes that he is the one who has to leave. Turn briefly to the historical, non-mythical plague under the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius in the mid-160s CE, we again find the god Apollo squarely in the mix. Because of his role as the god of plagues, a rumor emerged that the origin of the plague had been a pestilential exhalation from the temple of long-haired Apollo from the far east. But because Apollo was also seen as the god of healing, we find an incredible explosion of inscriptions calling on Apollo for help. We have found 11 inscriptions from around the Roman Empire appealing to the gods on the recommendation of an oracle of Apollo, all stuck into walls and aimed at averting the plague from those buildings. We also have seven inscriptions with the same following text. Alas, alas, a powerful disaster leaps onto the plain, a pestilence hard to escape in one hand wielding a sword of vengeance, in the other lifting up the deeply mournful image of mortals newly stricken. The god Apollo calls on people to fumigate their houses in ritual fashion. Because we have detailed descriptions about this particular plague from the leading doctor of the time, Galen, a persuasive case has been made that it was caused by a virulent strain of the smallpox. It caused a severe economic downturn 
and we even find the Emperor Marcus Aurelius himself selling off treasures from his palace to raise funds for the imperial purse. If you are interested in epidemics in the Roman Empire, you may want to visit the website of Kyle Harper, professor of classics and now provost of Oklahoma University, who has conveniently collected a database of pestilence in the Roman Empire. In it, he lists nearly 80 instances where our ancient sources report a plague between 178 BCE and 600 CE, about 800 years. Great thanks go to Julia Summer and A.J. O'Neill, our voice actors who read the passages from the Iliad and Oedipus the King, as well as to our fabulous sound engineer, Samantha Kutsia. As always, our theme music is Brooklyn Tea by the incredible saxophonist Jared Sims. That's Sims with one M. You should go listen to and buy his music. This has been The Greek Myth Files, signing off for just a little while. See you next time.